I have preached and um, uh, talked ab uh, about faith in many different ways down through the years. Uh, talked about what faith is and how to how to get uh, get more faith and all that. And but as I was praying and I sought the Lord on the lesson. Uh, tonight, the beginning of the lesson for a new year, uh, the Lord just put up in my spirit how that we need to learn how to conquer the enemies of faith. We need to conquer the enemies of faith in our life. And because faith is the most important thing that you have. Amen. And that's what I'm we're going to be talking about tonight. And we're going to we're going to start out in the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter. And we're going to read the first 6 verses in the King James version. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 through 6 in our opening text. And uh, I want to talk about conquering the enemies of faith. Hallelujah. And um, let's just see what the Lord gives us tonight. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found, because God had translated him for before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, how would you like to have that testimony? That you please God. Wouldn't that be a powerful testimony to have? Hallelujah. Enoch got so close to God in a day and a... This, there was no Bible at all back then. He didn't have a Bible to read. He didn't have a Holy Ghost. He didn't have the name of Jesus. But he got so close to God that God didn't allow him to live on the planet no more. He was translated. This is a type and a shadow of what's going to happen to everybody when Jesus comes. We're going to be translated. We're going to be called up. Hallelujah. But he had this testimony that he left behind that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is rewarder of them that diligently seek him. All right. There's a whole lot to be said that's in those patches of scriptures right there. But I've given you them to lay a foundation I want everybody to understand, first of all, how important faith is to 
our, our walk with God. Faith is a fascinating subject. The whole contents of the Word of God hinges on faith. Everything from Genesis to Revelation, the whole content of the Word of God hinges on faith. One, listen to me, 100% of your relationship with God is dependent upon faith. Amen. 100%. If you're jotting down notes, that's a good thing to put down. 100% of your relationship with God is dependent upon faith. And without it, it's impossible to please God. And what does it mean to please God? To please God means to put you in favor with Him. That's another word for it. I've got that in parentheses in my notes here. Without faith, it's impossible to please God or put your, put your favor, uh, put you in favor with Him or be saved. You can't have favor with a guy without faith. You can't be saved without faith. Hallelujah. Amen. Um, faith is more powerful than even the gift of the Holy Ghost because it's impossible for the Holy Ghost to operate outside of faith. Amen. If you have the Holy Ghost and you spoke in tongues, that operation came to you through faith. Hallelujah. Amen. It's the most important aspect of our relation. Uh, and we, we sh should never underestimate. Uh, and as I was praying the thought kept coming to me concerning things that kill and destroy faith. Now, you've heard me preach this before. I hope uh, it will come back to you remember that remembrance. I have told you many times that if you are attacked in your body with a sickness, the devil could care less about your body. It's not your body he's after. If you're attacked in your finances, the devil could care less about your finances. Your finances is not what he's after. Every attack that you have of the enemy, the end of it is to kill your faith, to cause you to give up on God and not have faith in him any longer. That, that is the underlying thing of every, every attack, every battle, every struggle that we go through with. It's all about destroying our faith now it stands to reason that for something something so important like faith to your spiritual well-being and relationship with God don't it stand the reason if it's that important that the devil desires more than anything to conquer your faith and to wipe it out hallelujah he desires more than anything because that's your key. That's your key. That's your key to everything with the Lord. Now, with this understanding in mind, I believe it's imperative that we recognize the trick Satan uses to destroy faith in our lives so, we, uh, so um, uh, he wants to destroy faith in our lives so 
uh, uh, that uh, we can't uh, live a victorious and overcoming life in Christ because it's impossible for you to live victoriously without walking in faith. It's impossible for you to be an overcomer without walking in faith. Amen. So that is the train of thought that I'm on tonight, and I want you to uh, think about uh, because I know without a shadow of a doubt, somewhere, some long before along the line, 2016, everybody in here is going to be hit and tested concerning your faith. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Not maybe. Hallelujah. Amen. It will happen. The devil always tries to uproot and tear up our faith. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about hell's worst nightmare. Hell's worst nightmare. Do you wonder, uh, have you ever thought about what hell's worst nightmare is? Amen. David Wilkerson, anybody know that name when I say David Wilkerson? Anybody know that name? All right. He's the man's life story, a minister uh, that uh, uh, brought about the book several years ago, The Cross and the Switchblade, uh, and then it, it was turned into a movie. This man went into the worst part of New York City, right in the, heat, right in the part where all the gangs was, and God used that man tremendously uh, to pull thousands of people down through the years out of gangs and out of drug life and drugs and, and violence and all that kind of stuff. He was a powerful man of God. Of course, we, uh, uh, we lost him not too long ago. He, he was killed in a car accident, but he, um, he was getting on up in age. But he was a powerful man of God. And uh, David Wilkerson uh, once made a comment concerning faith, and I want to share this comment with you. This is what he said. We are in a fierce war that is a life and death struggle for our faith. Amen. He said we're in a fierce war that is a life and death struggle for our faith. Satan is determined to shipwreck and destroy the faith of God's elect. And the stronger your faith, the greater will be his attack against it. So look out. I said, look out. The stronger your faith, the greater will be the devil's attack against it to try to destroy it and tear it down. I'll see that, and let me tell you why the reason that is. A Christian with unshakable faith, is marked as public enemy number one in hell. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm telling you about hell's worst nightmare. We all heard people make public enemy number one. I uh, studied uh, crime and, and history in, uh, in America. You know, Al Capone, he was, one, he, he was public enemy number one for a long while. Uh, and uh, I could, could name a few, uh, Babyface Nelson and... Back in those days, you know, Machine Gun Kelly, they all achieved that, and, uh, and they've got, they've got uh, those people on the list now. I don't know who's listed now as public enemy number one, but a Christian with unshakable faith is marked as public enemy number one in hell. 
And the reason for this is clear. By faith, it is re- by faith, it is released power. Kingdoms are subdued. Righteousness is born. Promises of God are obtained. The mouths of lions are shut. Satanic fire is quenched. And the, uh, there is escape from the sword. Out of weakness, the faithful are made strong and become brave in the battle, turning the devil's army to flight. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. If one can put a thousand to flight, how many can two put to flight? Ten thousand. Ten thousand. Hallelujah. <coughs> These faithful ones wake the dead, don't give in when tortured, gladly endured mocking, beatings, stonings, and if locked in jail, they sing. Who, who was the ones that, uh, that sang when they was locked in jail? Paul and Silas, amen. Faith sustains those who possess it. And the greatest fear hell has is when the weakest Christian, now, now understand what I'm saying, the weakest Christian, that one it's very young, that one is very inexperienced. But the greatest fear hell has is when the weakest Christian develops a steadfast faith. Hallelujah. Amen. It don't matter how weak you are in God or how young you are in God and you don't have uh, this experience or that experience, but if you can develop the steadfast love, I want you to know when you get up in the morning, hallelujah, hell cries out, oh, no, she's awake again. Hallelujah. That's what I live for. That's what I want. I mean, every morning when I get up and put my feet on the ground, I want to hear something echo out of here. So, oh, no, he's awake again. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Because, see, we're not talking about what our abilities are. We're not talking about what we can do. Hallelujah. The weakest Christian makes hell shudder when they develop a steadfast faith. You see, because hell knows that even the weakest Christians will gain the victory every time because of their faith. You don't have to be real strong to get the victory over something. All you got to do, it don't even take a whole lot of faith. How much faith does it take? Grain of a mustard seed. Grain of a mustard seed. Hallelujah. How many people saw that video on Facebook? One of the blackest clouds I've ever seen in my life. And that thing was a twirling. As it was a twirling, it was dropping down, starting to drop down, coming to a cone shape. And there was this woman standing there, and there was a bridge on one side of her, uh, uh, overpass bridge on one side, and that cloud was just starting just to come down, and it was twirling. She she lifted up her hand toward that thing. She began to pray, and she, she commanded that thing to go away in Jesus' name. She says, Lord, take this twister away from me. Take it away from my city. Do not let it come down. I pray it. And she kept on praying until she started praying in tongues. She was praying in the Spirit. And when she started praying in the Spirit, that thing started going back up. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. And the shape of the funnel was completely 
gone. Hallelujah. Amen. Man, there is power in prayer. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, although she prayed in tongues, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if she was apostolic or not because she had enough faith in God to stand there. I heard her say one time, I'm not scared. I'm not scared. I come against you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. A lot of us be like Festus and get out of Dodge. <laughs> Hallelujah. <clears throat> so the weakest Christian now can gain the victory. I'd like for him to... Uh, Put up First John 5 and 4, uh, because this goes along with that. The weakest Christian will gain the victory every time because of their faith. Amen. The weakest Christian. And we have the example of that in First John chapter 5 and verse 4. Hallelujah. Amen. Now look at what it said. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. What? Even our faith. I'll shock some Pentecostal people there. It don't say even our Holy Ghost. It don't say even our shouting. But it's our faith. See, that's what God wanted me to get, get across to everybody. The greatest thing that could happen for this church in 2016 if we all grow in faith and we let our faith get increased. That's what makes miracles possible. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. I've seen people who wasn't in the full truth. I've seen people who were Trinitarians, amen, pray miracles into existence Simply because of faith. They didn't have complete understanding. They didn't believe everything like we did. But they had some faith in God. And God respects faith. He's no respecter of person, but he is a respecter of faith. Hallelujah. Faith moves God. Hallelujah. So, whatever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory. This is the victory that overcometh the world. Even our faith. <coughs> Hallelujah. Now, what is this enemy, that uh, uh, enemy of faith? I mean, what is, we're talking about conquering the enemies of faith. What is an enemy of faith? Well, the, the, the foremost is unbelief. Unbelief. Doubt. Or unbelief. Those two words are synonymous in meaning. They mean the same thing. Doubt and unbelief. The first and foremost enemy of faith is doubt or unbelief. Nothing kills faith like unbelief. Doubt in your heart. Huh, some of you understand what I mean when, I'm, when I say this. Uh, because uh, everybody, everybody thinks about Superman all over again because now we've got a Supergirl on on TV now, uh, but uh, this is what I this is what I wrote down in my note. Nothing kills faith like unbelief. Doubt in your heart is like kryptonite to Superman. What is kryptonite to Superman? That's the only thing that can get him in it. Hallelujah! Takes his power; it, it, it'll kill him. 
you know, as so the writers have, have said. All right. Nothing can kill your faith like doubt and unbelief. Doubt and unbelief cannot live in your heart at the same time with faith. You either got faith or you got doubt. You got faith, you got unbelief. They don't both coexist, just like light and darkness does not coexist. Amen. Uh, in fact, <coughs> and um, I'm going to give him up, up top a heads up because this will be the next scripture I'm going to use. I'm going to be going just in a few minutes to Hebrews 3 and 12. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. Uh, God calls a heart of unbelief an evil heart which will cause you to depart from God. Wow. Think about that. I'll tell you how bad in God's sight unbelief is. We want to talk about all the bad sins we think some people do. Drugs, alcohol, this and that, prostitution or whatever it may be. But God calls unbelief in your heart. If you got a, if you got unbelief in your heart, then you got an evil heart. And I'm gonna give you the scripture here in just a moment. Hallelujah. God calls a heart with unbelief an evil heart, which will cause you to depart from God. No one who has ever followed me close. And uh, add this to your notes. No one who has ever backslid and turned their back on God has done so without first losing their faith and allow unbelief to seep into their heart. Nobody in the history of the world has ever backslid who had a heart full of faith. It goes first. It leaves. Hallelujah. Your, your life and experience with God becomes whole home and humdrum. You know, you lose expectation. Hallelujah. Somebody, you sit back in your pew and you see somebody come up for prayer and call for the elders of the church and, uh, and get the oil and you sit back and you don't expect them to see them get healed. Hello? Amen. That's a danger point. Hallelujah. I don't care what they, amen, somebody's rolled up here in a wheelchair, we ought to expect them to get out of that wheelchair if we pray. If we don't expect it, then we are hypocrites if we pray for them. Hallelujah. Amen. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. Amen. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of what? An evil heart of cursing, of drinking, getting drunk, running around? Unbelief. Take heed. That means to watch out. Hallelujah. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. When, that, when you begin to get unbelief in your heart and you do not believe God, it ain't going to be but a matter of time you're going to depart from God. You're going to backslide and you're going to go away from God. Hallelujah. You let the devil kill your faith. Here's what it boils down to, and I am trying to finish this part up. We got too many folks in the church today with a think so and hope so mentality. 
Amen. Oh, I think I I I, I think that how I think so and so will get hit. I think so and so will get delivered. I think they'll get the Holy Ghost when they come up there. Too many people in church today just got a think so and hope so mentality. But church, God can't rely on anyone like that. If I only walk around saying I think so and I hope so, God can't rely on me. He can't count on me. Why? Because I'm not believing like I should. God needs men and women in the body who have a no-so mentality. Glory to God. Not 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 think so, not hope so, but know so. When you make a statement about God, you say, I know it. I know it. Hallelujah. Amen. I know so mentality and who is fully persuaded that God, what God promises, he's able to do. Now, I'm, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 4 and we're going to read verses 17 through 21. Romans 4, 17, 21. And, uh, but while we're getting ready to get to that, always have that know-so and be fully persuaded. You've got to be persuaded that what God promises, he's able to do. Hallelujah. I, 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 I know there's nobody here tonight who thinks that, well, God might be able to fulfill that promise. Oh, I hope he fulfills that promise. Hallelujah. If God makes you a promise, Brother Paul, we got to be persuaded that he's able. That he's able. Romans chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. I'm going to read through this. He said, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. He's talking about Abraham now. He said, I made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickened the dead and called those things which be not as though they were. <laughs> now, Monday night was our prayer time, and Sister Darlene and I, we, uh, we, we do our TV watching in the den. At, um, so we wouldn't... We get a, want, want to get away from it. We we leave the den and go into the go into the living room, and that's where we got uh, at the prayer time uh, Monday night and begin to, begin to pray. And uh, that that right there come out in our in our prayer time together. And uh, she all of a sudden she it come in her mind, and she asked asked me says where in the Bible is that? Don't the Bible say something about that? And uh, uh, and I. And we took us a while, but we looked it up. Think about that. It said, God calleth those things which be not as though they were. God's able to take something that don't exist and speak it to in existence. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. He's able to do that. Amen. And if we got his spirit, we can walk in that level of faith ourselves. Hallelujah. We can walk in that level of faith ourselves. Hallelujah. Um, who against hope believed in the hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, 
He considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. There it is. I use what, what did I say about being fully persuaded and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform. That's why God blessed Abraham so much, and that's why the Jews became God's chosen people, because Abraham dared to believe God. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you something. I'm concerned about modern-day apostolics. I really am. I'm concerned. I mean, uh, the way that we live our relationship with God is so haphazard today. We are not sold out 100% to God. We've got, as I was preaching about last Sunday, we got, we got our heart divided and we got too many sections in our heart, one spot for this, one spot for that, and one spot for that. I'll tell you what I'm concerned about. They're, they're liable to be a group of Baptist people or Methodist people down the road that really begin to get concerned and begin to pray and call upon God. And God liable to pull that Holy Ghost blessing away from the apostolics and give it to that bunch of Baptists. <coughs> you know where we come from in the first place? Where do we come from? Uh, we came from Methodists. Hallelujah. Sister Shelton, Brother, Char Brother Charles' mama, she, uh, they, they went to a Methodist church up, up in Kentucky. And the, uh, uh, the outpouring of the Spirit and the Holy Ghost started, and the holiness movement started with the Methodist people. And they went that, and that, and that Methodist church were, they didn't know what it was, but people would, would, begin, would fall out in the Spirit and lay there and, and talk in tongues, and they didn't know what it was, and they said, oh, they call it, they said, they got the second blessing. That's what they called it back in those days. They got the second blessing. Hallelujah. Well, he did it then. He might do it. He, he, he's liable to, huh, Lord of God, amen. He, go, um, go over here and, and save, a, uh, save a bunch of Muslims and they get Holy Ghost filled and start doing something for Jesus. Woo. That would be something. That would be something. That would be something. Hallelujah. But you know what? I've read some testimonies of Muslims who have become Christians because Jesus gave them a vision. Amen. It's happened more than once. They had a vision of Jesus, and they come to the Lord. Amen. It's happened more than once. Okay. <coughs> Being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to... Although Jesus, now listen to me, I'm gonna, we're going to have one more scripture in Mark 16 uh, and verse 14, then, then, uh, then uh, I'm going to close it for tonight. But listen to this, although Jesus is long-suffering, he has little patience for disciples who hold unbelief. It's important, that, and, and that, that's why I want to end with this, because I want, I, I want you to leave here tonight with this on your mind. God's a long-suffering God, and by long-suffering, it means he puts up with us a whole lot longer than what he should. Amen. It's because of his mercy. He's long-suffering, 
but he has very little patience for disciples. Now, disciples, I'm not talking about sinners because they, they're lost anyway. They don't have his spirit. But I'm talking disciples. I'm talking about those who are supposed to be believers, those who are supposed to follow him. He has little patience for disciples. You remember, you remember what one scripture said, unto whom much is given, much is required? You see, God's going to require much more out of us than he is some of these other groups that don't get the word preached like we get it. Amen. He has a little patience for disciples who hold unbelief. Mark chapter 16, verse 14. Now, this is after he resurrected. It said, Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven. Uh, why was there why why was there eleven instead of twelve here? <laughs> Judas had already went out and hung himself. There wasn't twelve of them no more. There was eleven of them. Okay. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and he upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after. He was risen. That word abraded means he rebuked them. He rebuked them. He came into where they was gathered together and they was, they was all eating. He didn't pat them on the back and say, well, y'all have had a hard time while I was dead those three days and y'all poor little things. He rebuked them. He abraded them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not. Huh. Now, what he's talking about here is Mary Magdalene and other women who went to the tomb early in the morning, before it was still uh, uh, while it was still yet dark, and they found the stone rolled away. They ran back to the disciples to say, "You know, we've seen the Lord." He's risen, but the Bible said they didn't believe him. They said that it seemed as idle tales to them. They didn't believe it. They didn't believe him. And so when Jesus appeared to them, <coughs> he rebuked them. He rebuked them for their unbelief. So if we really want to do something for the Lord and see God move in our midst, we're going to have to start conquering the enemies of faith. I've told you many times how to grow your faith. We, we, we all got a good idea about how growing our faith. Growing our faith is not the issue. We need to begin to conquer the enemies of our faith. Amen. And I don't, I don't know how, if, if God will leave me to take this further next Wednesday night or not. I don't know. I'm leaving it up to the Lord as, when I pray. But we, whatever in our life, is an enemy your <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't know. I was going to say something. I'm going to wait. I'm going to let you wonder about that. If I teach further on it next Wednesday night, I'll, I'll add it in there then. Anybody got any questions or comments about our lesson tonight?